got all this sort of stuff in the Bible. It's amazing. Yet I want to find out what were the major things of Jesus' life? What was his major messages? And we're going to look at that over the next few weeks. The very first one I want to look at this morning, I gave it away with the book, is grace. This is one of, I think, the two major messages Jesus brings to earth. It's grace. I'm going to unpack what grace is a little bit, but up until this point of Jesus arriving on earth, it was a culture of, in the book he calls it, ungrace. It's a culture of you get what you deserve. It's a culture of an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That sort of culture. You know, it's your own fault. That would have been a common saying back in the day. So even the law, even the God followers, the Jewish people, had a, had a huge list, a huge law of this is what's going to happen if you do that. Or if you do this, you are going to need to do that. There's a whole lot of stuff here that is determined upon what you have done or how you act. In, in essence, there is no grace to be seen anywhere. You act a certain way, here is the results. Jesus comes along, turns the whole thing upside down, introduces grace to mankind. Now I've got two girls, Ella and Mia, and uh, I didn't realise, but when you have two kids, I thought you have one kid as an accessory. Am I right, parents? No, not really. You have one kid as an, as an overflow of your love, right, for each other. That's the correct. I didn't get the response I was hoping for then, so I changed it to that. But the second kid you have to play with the first one, am I right? To get your life back again. And you have two kids so that they can grow up together and be best mates and play together. And I thought that was it. But I've realised why people have a third kid. Because two kids is non-stop competition, isn't it? It's non-stop bickering and fighting for our attention or just for us to be mad at the other one. I'm guessing it's not just my house. But my kids are in complete competition with each other all of the time. They live in a world of ungrace. Let me explain this, how to explain this. If, if Ella's off on a, a school camp and it's just me and Mia in the afternoon, Cassie is at work and I'm like, Mia, what do you want to do this afternoon? Oh, can we go out for ice cream? Well, a loving father wants to pour out my love for this child. Sure, let's go out for ice cream. Now, Ella finds out. You hear me? She's at school camp, but somehow... She has found out that Daddy has taken Mia out for ice cream. As soon as she gets home and into the door, Ella, how was your camp? Did you take Mia out for ice cream without me? And I'm like, oh, you're off. What did you do on your school camp? That doesn't matter, Daddy. You took Ella. No, but what have you been doing on your camp? Oh, we went rock climbing. We went, you know, all the stuff that they, they sort of do. So what does it matter if Mia had ice cream, if you got all the... It's not fair, Daddy. You know I've been saying for months I want to go out for ice cream with you. You hear me? You have these conversations at home or is it just me? And they, and fascinatingly, three months down the track, 
Ella can still remind me, just reminding you, Daddy, you still owe me ice cream. We should have had a third kid. Does everything change when you have three kids? No? Few knows. I don't want to find out. Anyway, it's too late. The fourth one in the world is just amazing. Um, but here we have instilled into children right from the very young age that they are after fairness. They don't want to miss out on anything. They don't think it's fair if somebody gets treated to something and they don't. Maybe it's selfishness. Maybe it's that, that, uh, what we're, that self-centeredness that we have when we're, we are born. But either way, there is this whole world that makes sense when it's fair. When things aren't fair, it's not making sense. Jesus comes, introduces grace. Something that is completely not fair. He comes in from the perspective of a loving father sending Jesus into an earth that does not deserve any love, that does not deserve any salvation, offers himself up, giving grace to us. It's not fair. It's actually shocking. It's ridiculous to think. And Jesus goes about his three years of ministry, painting this picture, speaking this ultimate message over almost all of his stories about a father who has nothing but grace for us. And you can read, and I think Nikki Link was here a few weeks ago and talking about how this revelation he has had of, of Jesus, and he has to reread the Old Testament again, he has to read Revelations again, because he's had this new insight into into the grace and mercy of God, that it's all, it's all different now. Well, that was Jesus, and he did that. And um, you can read his stories, and you can find with these goggles on, you put these glasses on, it's right through his ministry, is this message of grace in a world that is ungrace, black and white, no shortcuts. A price must be paid for every wrong that has ever been made. But through his parables, we see a different story. In Luke chapter 15, there's three parables, one after the other. Parables is just a name for a story. Three deep stories that Jesus tells to try to portray this kingdom of God and this loving Father. The first one is about a lost sheep. And there's many stories. I'm not going to read them all. We'd be here for an hour. The first one in this chapter is a lost sheep. And it says, now the kingdom of heaven is like this, that if a shepherd who has a hundred sheep, loses one of them, one of them goes astray, he will leave the 99 and go after the one. Now, that's a bit ridiculous, right? When you think about it. Why would a shepherd in his right mind go after one sheep who could be devoured by a wolf at any notice, leaving his 99 Going after the one. Ridiculous, right? Leaving vulnerable another 99 sheep over here. Yet Jesus is really painting the picture of the lengths that God the Father will go to to save the one, to bring salvation to one lost sheep in danger. He goes on to the next story. It's the story of the lost coin. Lady loses one coin, even though she has the rest in her purse and the lengths that she will go to 
to find this one coin, and when she finds it again, there is much rejoicing. Silly little stories that Jesus tells, and we can skim over them quite quickly. But what is he doing here? He's bringing in the midst of culture of you get what you deserve. If that one sheep goes astray, it's its own fault, right? But Jesus coming in saying, no, 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 no. I'll leave the rest. I'll leave heaven. Come chasing after that one sheep. This is craziness. This is, this is crazy thinking. We get to the third and the final one. We might read a little bit of it. It's the famous one. The lost son. So we've had the lost sheep, the lost coin, and we get to the lost son, or you might know this one as the prodigal son. You can do some reading. Let's let's read. Oh gee, that's a long story. Should have picked one of the first ones. That's right, I'm a reader now, Steve. Halfway through that fat book there. It's in verse 11. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. That's nice, isn't it? Give me what's mine. Is that not the world that we live in these days? Just just give me what I'm entitled to, says this son. So the father agreed to divide his wealth between the two sons. A few days later, his younger son packed up all his belongings, the one that got what he's entitled to, and he moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all the money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept the land, and he began to starve. He he persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. He finally came to his senses and he said to himself, at home even the hired servants have enough food to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And I, will no long, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. So he's rehearsed this in his mind. Please take me on as a hired servant. So in verse 20, he returns to his father. And while he's still a long way off, the father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and he kissed him. You've got to get this picture. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. So he, he, starts, he starts the speech that he's rehearsed for the last three days on his journey back home. But his father said to his servants, Quick! So he interrupts him. He says to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf that we have been fattening, we must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Extravagant love from this father, who could have rightly said, you made your bed, you lie in it. Anyone have a father that might have said that to them? You don't have to put your hand up. 
I was like the only one with my hand up then. The only one with my father in the room. That's a bit embarrassing. <laughs> so, can you get this? Because especially in the Jewish culture of the day, this was huge. They say that uh, a man of this stature of men of the house like this would never dare run or even bring himself down to show that sort of emotion on that level. Yet this man, fully dignified, leaves his estate, leaves his home, picks up his robes, no doubt, chases down this boy while he's a long way off and throws his arms around him and starts pouring out extravagant love on him. Yet even when the boy tries to explain what has happened and how sorry he is, he's like, forget that, come on, there's a party on. Now hold on a second, as somebody looking on to this story, and no doubt the listeners who are listening to this story said, yeah, yeah, no worries, they've got the party on, but surely he's going to sit down and have a stern chat with him later on, right? He's got he's to let this boy know where he went wrong. Yet there's no sign of that in the story. Even the oldest son we read about here in verse 28, their older brother was angry. The one that stayed, the one that did the right thing, he was angry and wouldn't go in to the party. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all the time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes and celebrating by killing, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf, his father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed with me. Everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. It doesn't seem right, really. If my girls were in that story, they would be kicking up a stink right now. Are you serious? You're getting, giving him ice cream after that tantrum he just put on? Yet this is a hard pill that some people can't seem to swallow in the Christian circles these days. And we find ourselves, even as Christians, even as ones that have received the grace once that God showed to us, when he starts showing it to another, we fall back into that older son position. And you're saying, really, God? Are you serious? You see what they did on Friday night? You know, they're not holy. They're not good. And we seem to default back to ungrace. In life, we tend to do that. We seem to default back to law, back to rules, back to old covenant. Yet Jesus, in his three years of ministry, is continually drilling 
the fact that the Father in heaven is not a Father of judgment. He is a Father of love and compassion and grace. And I'm not sure what your upbringing has been in church. Maybe you went to a Christian school or you're in a certain type of church growing up and you get this picture of the Father God in heaven as somebody who you have to live up to his standards. But in none of Jesus' stories and in none of the people that Jesus reached out to was there ever demand that you had to live up to a certain standard before God would come to you. He's an amazing father and it's shockingly unfair, but he seems to pour out his grace on each and every person who would stop, realise the position they're in is because of them and turn back to him for God to only come running to you. He's an amazing God. Amazing God. And Jesus changes everything in history as he comes and shows this side of grace of the Father. Give me what is mine, the youngest boy said, sense of entitlement. I've repeated this. I'm just going through my notes. Here's an interesting point. Grace will always take the back seat to justice. You will naturally fall into the thinking of what's fair and what's right in life. You actually have to choose to enter into a mindset of grace, where you don't become the judger, or the judge, I could have just said judge, I like judger, where you don't become the judger. Is this alright? How much time we got, Steve? Ten minutes? Two. <laughs> Jesus is interesting. He went around healing multitudes of people. Actually, a and he ever talks of him not healing people in his own hometown where they didn't really have faith that he actually was the Son of God. Everywhere else, the Bible paints the picture that he healed every person that came to him who was sick. Now get this for a second. Because to me, when I stop and think about and bring it into today's society, I read and go, yeah, that's cool, he heals everybody. But I look around in my life these days and there are some people I know in my world that are carrying sicknesses and diseases, whatever, and it's their own fault. Now, absolutely, absolutely that's not true across the whole board. There would be, though, a percentage of people. Think of it. I've prayed for people that are dying of lung cancer that have been a cigarette smoker their whole life. Now the, now the person of ungrace would say, it's your own fault. Yeah? Come on, and it's not just me hanging out here. Man. That, you know, hold on, you've had that choice. You knew it was going to get to this. You stuck with it your whole life, and now this is the bed you've made. You need to lie in it. There must have been some people in the crowds that were coming for healing, where surely it was a result of some bad decisions they'd made in their life. Surely. Yet Jesus never really seems to go into what they did in their life that caused them to need a healing. It's amazing. What, what, why is that even... Why, isn't, why, why am I even stopping to think about that this morning? Because I want to paint a picture to you 
about a loving God, a loving Father who knows all. He knows the reasons why. He's seen your whole life. He knows why you're in the position that you're in right now. He knows it all. And yeah, he can come and help you and give you some guidelines along the way and hold on, how about you get this right in your life and it might heal itself. Who knows? But here we have a picture of a God that is emphasized through Jesus' ministry of him just being lavish with his healing abilities. Where he doesn't even care sometimes what the reason is. He just wants to see you healthy and whole. That's an amazing God. There is not one man on this earth, not one man that some religions would turn into a, some sort of God that would ever be like that. Jesus is the only one who can portray to the world the love of a father who is desperate for his creation to be made whole again, that he would do anything it takes, no matter how ridiculous and how silly it is. We're always looking for a catch, aren't we? Do you ever get those phone calls during the day? Someone's got a great offer for you. I think my number is listed on some, some business thing, like, I think, like I'm listed on census as a business and, and um, so I'm sure I get extra phone calls. I'm sure you never get any of them. But I get these phone calls and they're offering me things all the time. Oh, and, and I was going to do it then. They often have the same accent, these people as well. I won't do it. But straight away, as soon as you pick up, you know what's going on, don't you? Yeah, yeah, what's the catch? Hold on, Kev, I'm not finished yet. Just wanted me to move on. That's all right. You can stay there. Don't play yet. Don't play yet. I'll tell you when. And you pick up the phone and you're like, yeah, yeah, right. And you either just hang up there and then because you know there's, there's not. Or you get to the point where you go, yeah, well, what's the catch? No, no, no catch. No catch, sir. All you have to do is blah, 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 blah. And, and it's like we've been fashioned to it now we are always looking for a catch in life. Nothing is too good to be true. You hear me? The thing about Jesus and your thing about God the Father is the more that you look into it, where you think this must be a scam. It's too good to be true, what this guy's talking about. The beauty of this and the amazing thing is the more you look into this, the more you will discover what actually is yours. It's true. Did you get that? So you can start a relationship with Jesus, with loving Father, at the fact that he came and he died for your sins and he wants to be united with you in heaven. Thank you very much. That sounds good to me. But you can stop there. Or you can delve into it further. What else is in this thing? And you can discover truths that... that are amazing. You know, he actually wants to heal me. He actually wants to make me whole. That grief that I have from a bad upbringing as a child, somebody abused me, he can, he can sort that out. Are you serious? I thought I was just signing up to eternal life. It's amazing. No wonder people would gather here on a Sunday morning and sing songs about this Father God who just has so much to give us. The more, we, the more we discover God, the more we just want to sing about him. The more we discover God, the more we just want to shout it from the rooftops. You hear me this morning? 
I challenge you, look into it a bit further. Find out what else there is, because there is so much more. Kev. Here's the the point. God, the God of the Jews, the God of creation, the God from the beginning, the Alpha, this God is ultimately a God of justice. Absolutely. He is ultimately a God who has the highest standards, the most holy being ever, and no one could ever get up to his standards. Don't you see that is the beauty of this? He is a God of justice. He didn't change when Jesus came. Jesus just became that sacrifice that needed to be made. Are you hearing me? The God the Father never changed. He was always too holy for you to ever come into his presence. Always. You'd never make it. Yet in one act of indescribable grace, he sends his own son to die as a sacrifice for every wrong that you have done and every wrong that you will do so that you can come into the presence of some holy God that you would never have been able to come close to. Isn't that amazing? You getting goosebumps or is it just me? I want you to close your eyes for a moment. I've still got one more point to my message I'm going to get to in a moment. But we're going to pause here. And I want to encourage you, if you have never opened up your heart to God, now is the time to do it. Just say within yourself, we call this praying, but you can just say the words even in your mind. God will hear it. Invite him in to your life. Be like that boy in the prodigal son story who turned from his own way of trying to fight his way through life and trying to do things off his own back to coming to the point where he realized, you know what? This is what, not what I was designed to be like. I was designed to be in my father's house and come back to the father. Come back to your created father right now. And just invite him in. Say something like this. Yeah, Jesus, I, I just want to start this journey with you. Help me to receive your grace. I just want to receive what you've done for me. And he'll come in. He's an amazing God. You don't have to do anything, change anything, act differently. None of that sort of stuff. He just wants to pour out his extravagant love and grace upon you. Amen. Amen. Here's my final point. There's another story. Oh, I've got two more stories. I haven't got time for that. It's like bronchitis. No one's got time for that. Sorry. He tells another famous, famous story called the Good Samaritan. Everyone heard of the Good Samaritan? Where there's this Jewish man in the gutter, beaten up, stolen from, just got nothing left. 
two first guys pass him by on the street. They don't want to borrow of him, don't want to help him. They were actually his own people and they discarded him. And yet the Samaritan one, the one that they were enemies with, they despised, he was actually the one that picked him up, bandaged his wounds, put him on his donkey, took him to an inn, paid the bill for his reservations and said whatever he needs, just get him the help he needs. This good Samaritan. And the reason why Jesus asked, uh, was telling this story because he was talking to one Pharisee, one religious man who asked the question, who is my neighbor? And Jesus delves into this story. And he said, who do you think was the neighbor to that man that was hurt and broken and beaten in the gutter? He said, well, the third guy was the neighbor. And he says, exactly. Now go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Let me challenge you today. Let me urge you today. Go and do likewise. You have received it all from God. If you truly would love to be a Christian, and that word Christian means Christ-like, or a little Christ, little version of, if you would love to be a Christian, call yourself a Christian in your heart, he's challenging you to the, the, the grace that you received, you go and show that too. That's what a Christian would do. I'm not telling you what to do, how to live. I'm just encouraging you. This is what a, a father that would give everything to you would like to see his followers doing. Showing grace to people. Starting a revolution of grace in a world of ungrace. Wouldn't that be awesome? And the last story, oh man, I've got way too much. It's in Matthew chapter 18. talks about this guy who falls into so much debt. And the king calls him in. The king is trying to clear up his accounts. It's, it's July, it's June, and he's trying to get his tax in order. And the king calls in all his accounts and says, I need, need my money. And this one servant comes into the king and says, I haven't got my money. I haven't got it. Sorry, it's been a hard year this year. I don't know if anyone can relate to that. It's been a hard year this year. I just can't afford it this year. And the king gets really angry. You knew that this was tax time and you've known all year. You know, you sort of made your bed. Now it's time to lie. And the guy falls to his knees and he begs. He says, King, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just... I know, I've, I've fallen short. And it says the king had pity on him. And he said, all right, I'll clear your debts. Another picture of this gracious God in heaven, clearing your debts completely. He gets up, he's amazed. He leaves the king's courts. He's just leaving going, wow, that, that king is awesome. He's set me free from this burden. He's heading home and he comes across somebody that owes him money. On a smaller scale, no doubt, but owes him some money. And he sees him and something's triggered in his mind to think, oh, that's, that's one of the guys, this is why I'm in this position in the first place. He owes me money. If he owed me money, I could have paid the king. All this kind of, he forgets that the king has set him free from his debt. And he gets this guy and, and he holds him up to the wall. And you owe me money. And he shows him complete and utter ungrace. Straight after coming from the presence of the king who showed him 
grace. And Jesus said, don't be like that. Let the grace that I have shown you spill over out of your life and show it to other people. Amen? Let's pray. Close your eyes. Lord, we just thank you for this day today. We thank you that in the last oh, 25 minutes, we have been able to discover just a part, an element to how you feel toward us and the lengths that you have gone to sending your son Jesus to die on a cross for us. Lord, I pray for those ones that may have prayed that prayer halfway through the message for the first time, inviting you in to come into their life. I pray for them right now that you'll continue your journey with them. Lord, open their eyes up to the truths that they have welcomed into their life and start them on a new journey, a new course in your perfect will. For the rest of us, Lord, I pray for a great week this week. Give us opportunities. Remind us of this message where we have the opportunity to show grace to someone, maybe even though they don't deserve it, and that they might be completely shocked at the act of grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to close the service right there. The kids are going to come running out, no doubt, in a couple of minutes, and it's going to be chaos. Um, But we've got tea and coffee out there, and you can just hang as long as you like and grab something to eat, hang around and meet some new people. Um, If you would like, you've come with some really heavy burden in your life and you'd you'd really seek some serious prayer, you come. I'm here to pray with you and let's pray. For the rest of you, have a great day and uh, we'll see you next Sunday.